looking for the officials. Signal none yet, and there it is. Touchdown, Bulls. Two and a half to go before halftime. This has been a doozy of an opening half for Raymond James Stadium. Brian Batty has already taken one back for a touchdown tonight, and he does it again. Bulls back in front. Right, let's run it. Another edition of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast coming to you here on this uh, Friday as I get this intro recorded. Uh, our interview was recorded a few days prior. Uh, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Uh, I'm your host, Will Turner. Thanks for joining us here on another edition of the podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out on the four major podcast distributors between Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. As we get you ready for Saturday's game between USF and number 18 Florida, uh, kick time currently set for 7.30 p.m. at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium, The Swamp. Uh, should be uh, an interesting uh, experience for me. That'll be the first time I get to catch a game in The Swamp, uh, as there's obviously still a number of questions that USF's football team needs to answer heading into that game and throughout that game and, of course, after that game. So um, we'll see how that one plays out. We'll grab um, you know, a, a, a very well-versed source in both you know, USF affairs and Florida affairs here later in the podcast. That'll be in just a few minutes here uh, as we kind of take you through this one. Um, to, like, we obviously haven't had a, a podcast here um, since the opening week against BYU. So just to, you know, if you exclusively listen to the podcast, don't get any of the other, other coverage over at Bulls 24-7. First, what are you doing? Uh, second of all, uh, USF has played two games. They're one and one heading into week three. Uh, they lost 50 to 21 to BYU, who obviously has shown that they are a very talented team with everything they've got going on. Um, they beat Baylor last week, so that obviously was a, a big one for the Cougars to get at home. They go to Oregon this week, so I think with every single BYU win, USF's loss to them, just in the, by the amount that they lost, 29 points, just looks a little bit better on paper. Uh, USF uh, did get in the win column against Howard last week, Saturday night, last Saturday night at Raymond James Stadium, a 42-20 to decision there. Uh, USF did struggle in the first half, only had a 14-7 halftime lead. They were down 7-0 after the first quarter. Uh, took them a little bit to get going. Um, and in all honesty, I mean, that was a game that, you know, uh, I'd said before uh, needed to be a convincing win, needed to be something that, you know, USF could, could, could come into Florida week with a, a lot of confidence as opposed to maybe – uh, slightly lesser than that you know I think at the end of the day a win is a win and you want to get them any way that you can but obviously when you you know are, are only up a score at halftime it might be a little little less satisfying Jeff Scott did not see it that way uh, when I asked him about the, about that particular uh, said obviously they're not at the point in the program right now to be able to to, to staring a gift horse in the mouth uh, for lack of a better term um, you know, when it comes to uh, wins. So uh, USF did beat Howard. You know, the more I look at it, the more I just realize that USF's opening schedule um, was just, you know, 
uh, obviously we've talked about how competitive it, it, it was in, in terms of um, just the opponents, but at the end of the day, when you look at the, the quality of the quarterbacks that USF had played over the, over the first four, I mean, it's, it's quite the gauntlet between Jaron Hall at BYU in week one, uh, Quentin Williams from, from Howard, I mean, a lot of folks, myself, you know, well, a lot of folks kind of wrote the Bison off for being 0-2 right off the rip, which I can understand, you know, especially 0-2 in FCS play. Um, so I can understand that piece. But Howard was a good passing team, and they showed it Saturday and Saturday night. Quinton Williams threw for uh, 250 yards, uh, was 28 for 37 on the night. Um, I mean, that team had 77 plays total. Uh, to USF's, I believe they had uh, 55, if my math is correct, between 27 rushes and 28 passes. So they had almost 20 more plays than USF did. Um, held on the ball for, for about, that had been 12 to 14 more minutes on the time of possession counter. Um, no, excuse me, it was even more than that, 17 minutes. So, um, you know, that, that, that obviously Howard played how they wanted to, especially in the first half. They wanted to hold on to the football and keep USF's offense off the field. Obviously, that helps when Gary Bohannon threw, threw an interception on the first play of the game. Um, but Quentin Williams, like I said, showed that he was a good passer in his own right. So, um, you know, back to my quarterback point, you've got Jaron Hall from BYU, Quentin Williams from Howard. You go up against a major talent in Anthony Richardson uh, this weekend against Florida. And then next weekend when you go to Louisville, and obviously we'll have more on the Cardinals coming up, um, you're going to get Malik Cunningham, who uh, last week, if you follow me on Twitter, at uh, WTurner247, uh, I went over to Orlando and got to see uh, UCF take on uh, Louisville because I wanted to scout Louisville. Um, obviously, UCF, they've got a lot of football yet to be played before that war on I-4 matchup. So I'm not necessarily was, was concerned about UCF and scouting UCF as more as I was Louisville. Um, you know, I wanted to see what Malik Cunningham looked like. I wanted to see what that offense looked like. And Malik Cunningham is an elite runner. I mean, and, and obviously I'm jumping the gun a little bit in that preview coverage. But, um, you know, this is a gauntlet of quarterbacks that USF has had to face. And then in week five, when you get into AAC play, uh, you get Holt Nailers, who... Uh, from East Carolina, who has played uh, a lot of good football, um, you know, and, and is a fifth, uh, may, maybe even be a, a six-year senior uh, this year. I know he's been around the program for quite a long time. And then Cincinnati's got, um, you know, Ben Bryant has been playing some good ball. He's the Eastern Michigan transfer. Uh, Tulane has uh, Michael Pratt, who USF got acquainted with la uh, last year in New Orleans. I mean, Clayton Toon uh, at Houston the week after that. You've got you know, Tanner Mordecai from SMU down the line. Um, and then, of course, John Reese uh, Plumley from, from UCF, if that situation stays the same. So you've got good quarterbacks pretty much the whole way. But this front four, I mean, this front four is 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 a gauntlet. And Anthony Richardson obviously presents uh, quite a challenge. I talk plenty about Anthony Richardson and what he looked like in his first two games uh, with um, Florida this year in his first two uh, you know, starts of the year. Remember that he had battled with Emory Jones last year for the starting quarterback role at Florida. Um, so he obviously, uh, Emory transfers out to, I believe it was Arizona State. He transfers out to Arizona State and, uh, you know, USF now gets to face uh, Anthony Richardson for a full game. 
Uh, so we'll uh, talk that, and we'll talk a little bit about USF on-campus stadium stuff towards the end. Uh, there's obviously been some some new news um, that hasn't been covered on this podcast. Um, our guest is as good as any to talk about that. So um, to introduce our guest, uh, we're going to bring back uh, Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, I know, uh, you know, <laughs> Matt, Matt's a good guy. Like, trust me, a lot of people uh, give him uh, so much unnecessary hate on social media. Uh, Matt and I have talked quite a bit. We've done, you know, a board of trustees meeting together. Um, we've done a, you know, uh, you know, uh, covered obviously UF, USF together here within the last, you know, uh, year or so. It, he showed me his AP top 25 ballot and oh my goodness gracious, it was just an absolute mess. So, um, but the, the, the benefit of, 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 of having Matt in the same media room as, as me is, um, you know, obviously he covers Florida. So he knows, uh, he knows a decent bit about the Florida Gators. He knows covered them for, for quite a while. And, uh, you know, was around for all the Dan Mullen fallout, fallout last year uh, and has been around for the first two games of the year, uh, the first two games under uh, Billy Napier's uh, tenure at Florida. So without further ado, we'll bring Matt on. We'll talk uh, USF in Florida as we'll be right back here on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. Welcome back to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast here as we bring you continued Florida and USF uh, preview coverage here as we get ready for that one on Saturday at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium at the Swamp. With me now is a uh, special guest that I didn't have to go far to get. I always love when the opposing uh, or, or when a reporter for the opposing team kind of habituates the same media room. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, uh, Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for having me. We'll appreciate it. Of course, of course. I, I know the last time we talked a little bit of uh, of um, conference re, uh, conference expansion, conference realignment. So um, that was obviously in, in the rearview mirror. But now we get ready for this Florida USF game. Uh, Florida comes in at one and one with two very, I don't know, two very distinct games with a strong win against Utah and maybe a dud against Kentucky. Just how'd you view the first two games of of Florida season? Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. It it was a whole tale of two games thing, right? Um, Week one was better than I expected from Florida. I mean, Anthony, I had questions about Anthony Richardson and the quarterback and his consistency. You know, Billy Napier talked a lot all off season about, Look, everybody wants to crown this guy because of his potential. He's completed 39 career passes going into the year. The good ones at Florida do 39 in a game. So let's kind of pump the brakes. But then we saw all that otherworldly potential against Utah. And you think, okay, maybe this can do it. You, you look at the defense, which was a, li- a liability to put it politely the last two years. It was historically bad in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Better, but not good enough last year. And then suddenly the defense looks so much better against Utah. Then my biggest question mark, other than Richardson's consistency, was the receivers heading into the year. And they looked good against Utah. So you think, okay, maybe this team is better than I expected. I went in thinking they're seven and five now. Man, maybe they can go nine and three, maybe even 10 and two if things break right. And then Kentucky hits. And the defense was still very strong. Uh, That was one of the best defensive performances I've seen from them um, in terms of like looking at. It, it, it had been a while since the defense was going to win a game for them. And for a while, it looked like that was a possibility. 
but Anthony Richardson looked like a guy in his third career start playing a top 25 team led by a very sound fundamental coach in Mark Stoops. That's what I'm a quarterback for that matter. That's probably a, a, a first round NFL draft pick. Absolutely right. Uh, you know, Will Levis was, I mean, he looked the part to me. He had one long touchdown pass. Uh, it was 61 yards through the air. Ed, he's got the arm. He's got the toughness. He's got the decision-making. Yeah, he, he, he looked the part to me. Um, and then, like I said, it was the defense from Kentucky that played extremely well as well. Um, they, they had a good game plan, which was kind of contain Anthony Richardson, make him beat you with his arm. And he was not able to do that. Um, some of it was on him making some bad reads because look, he threw two interceptions that were pivotal and that's kind of who he is at this point, just about one or two throws a game that are really bad decisions. He had one against Utah that should have been picked off, but wasn't through interception against Vanderbilt, uh, LSU, Georgia had a pick six. That's kind of who he is at this point. Um, and it was, it came back to bite him and he didn't, wasn't helped by the fact that the receivers, which again, I thought were a liability going into the year drop too many passes. So it kind of week one was, I think about as good as the Gators could look and week two was on, on the other side. And I think maybe that's just where this team is right now with a yeah. first year staff and an inconsistent inexperienced quarterback. You go back to last year's game and, and maybe I just had to go look at the box score and realize just how, how productive Anthony Richardson was in the limited amount of snaps that he had. Um, obviously the quarterback competition between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, um, you know, we could debate all day long if that was the reason why Dan Mullen got, got canned among other things, but, you know, Anthony Richardson was three for three with 152 yards and two touchdowns against USF last year, four rushes, 115 on the ground, including that 80 yarder. Um, I mean, just that, that, that in itself, like USF fans are like, all right, this, this, this guy's pretty darn good. But obviously when you put him against an SEC defense or in Utah's case, a Pac-12 defense, the, the playing field gets a little bit leveled. Um, in game two, I noticed that um, he threw the ball 35 times or something like that, which is a lot of, which is a lot of passes compared to what he threw in week one. Um, and I believe his completion percentage, as I'm looking at it on the game notes, 14 for 35, yeah. as opposed to, um, you know, I, I know their ground game was really good against against Kentucky. And I think some fans, I was on a Florida podcast yesterday, a lot of Florida fans were kind of scratching their heads as to why they didn't, you know, why they may have strayed away from the run game because of, of how productive it was against Kentucky. Um so how, I guess where I'm going with, with this is, is obviously Billy Napier didn't hire an offensive coordinator. He's going, he's calling the plays himself. Just how have you seen that um, maybe impact Anthony Richardson's play or the offense as a whole um, so far? Yeah. Billy's decision not to have an offensive coordinator or not to have a play caller is an interesting one, but the thought process is, look, I think I can do this. If I don't have to hire a guy to call the plays and to coach the quarterback, that frees up a position on my staff. And he uses that for a second offensive line coach. There's a few schools in the country do that, that do that, but not very many. Yeah. Alabama did that in some way, shape, or form in the past, actually, when, when Billy was there. So I understand the thought process. You know, you're not going to win at a high level in the SEC unless you have a really good offensive line. So free it up that way. Um, in terms of the play calling itself, 
I didn't have a major problem with it. I think Kentucky did a pretty good job of, again, the big thing is just they bottled up Anthony Richardson. They were not going to let him beat him with his legs. They just weren't going to do it. You look at some of the runs, the, the opportunities that Anthony had, it, you know, somebody came there really quickly. They, they knew what was going to happen and they filled the gap or what would have been him making a cut and going potentially 50 yards. He, somebody was there after two. And that was the kind of difference. And you have to remember too, the Gators depth at quarterback is not good. Um, no. they, they are, they are, they are weak. And just in terms of the depth there, uh, Jack Miller's a guy they brought in as a blue chip transfer from Ohio state. He's out right now with a hand injury. So, uh, and then behind him, it, it's uh, John Kitna's son. And yep. so yep. they can't afford an injury to Anthony Richardson for a lot of reasons. So I think they also kind of have to just be, smart about how they choose to run him and, and what they choose to do with him and and, and that's kind of wild to think about uh especially over the last couple of years because it's felt like florida's had a ton of good quarterback depth even going back to the felipe franks versus jake allen debate back you know maybe four or five years ago um you know wow yeah it it it, it always blows my mind that jalen kitna's still there fun fact john kitten is actually like a head coach in texas somewhere now like he's... yeah yeah that's that sounds right and but i mean look at just some of the attrition they had where yeah you know, emory jones was there in the spring thought he was going to stay it, it was i think it was two practices in it was clear anthony was there anthony is healthy okay see ya and uh, uh carlos del rio wilson uh, is at syracuse and actually played a couple snaps the other day. So they've had talented guys. It's just, you know how it is. You can't keep, and USF fans know how it is. You can't keep depth at the quarterback position very long. And if Miller were healthy, it'd be a different situation. But unfortunately for the Gators, he isn't. So they're in a, in a world where they have to be very, very careful about what they do with Anthony. Yeah, without a doubt. So, um, you know, that's, that, that's obviously, I think the biggest thing offensively for, for, excuse me for Florida and, and USF has got a, has got a tall challenge. I mean, you take a look at these, you know, first four games that USF has had, right. They've had good quarterback play and a good quarterback to scheme against in all four. I mean, even the FCS game against Howard Quentin Williams is, is definitely a, you know, a formidable, uh, formidable quarterback. And he showed that particularly in the first half you drive in, um, in uh, Jaron Hall from BYU. And then you get Malik Cunningham next week, uh, which is a, you know, another tall task and another running quarterback that you have to account for uh, with as a, as a dual threat. So no slouch is there. One thing that Jeff Scott said Tuesday that piqued my interest was Florida's quote, elite defensive line. Um, Obviously it sounds like they're going to have a few guys out in the second level. Uh, Ventrell Miller is going to be out from all from, from reports that have, have, have surfaced this afternoon or this evening. Um, but that front seven is, is pretty solid. Even with, with, a, with a Ventrell Miller type being out, just what have you seen from those guys? Yeah. So let's start there with Ventrell being out. That's a notable blow. Um, it, is. it is. They, they were fine without him at the end of the Kentucky game. Cause again, the de- the defense did its job. It absolutely the defense did its job and it was good enough to win but uh they you know uh, there was a pick six and then uh kentucky got the ball i think it was around the 10 another time and there's only so much you can do with that um but ventral miller got hurt early in the season last year as well and the defense took it was noticeable when when he was out he's kind of you know i hate the whole heart and soul of a team kind of thing but 
he is the heart and soul of that defense. That's who he's been the last several years. And there was a drop when he left last year uh, with a, with a bicep injury. And we'll see if whether there's a drop this year, because, you know, Scooby Williams is a talented, you know, blue chip guy, but I think he played four games last year. I can't remember a play he made off the top of my head. So that's not to say he can't be good. just that we haven't seen it yet. Um, but, but the defensive line, if I'm looking at kind of what's, what are the, what's the revelation so far, the Billy Napier era, it's, it's the defensive line. Um, Britton Cox has shown flashes of being a good player in the past. Tertiga AMT has been really, really good. And we had a bunch of tackles in week one against Utah, had a couple of plays where he just blew stuff up against Kentucky. I mean, I think it was the first or second play of the game, literally pushed the right tackle back into Will Levis, which led to a, a, a you know, what could have been a nice quarterback draw gets, gets nothing out of it. Right. Um, Javon Dexter is a guy who he's uh, fairly new to football. Didn't start playing until uh, kind of mid to late uh, in high school, but yep, yep, he was yep. a five-star caliber recruit. And you're seeing it now, uh, kind of mostly on the interior part of the line where he's making some plays and coming through at a very nice interception against Kentucky. And then they've got a little bit of depth there too. You know, look at Justice Boone who had a big sack against Kentucky guy that Jeff Scott mentioned, um, his news conference was uh, Desmond Watson from Longwood, <laughs> who's yeah. uh, big old Des. Yep, big yep. Des. I, I think he's listed at a, 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 a felt four fifteen. Um, but it's he always is... funny to me with Des because I covered him when he was a sophomore in high school, right next to Clyde Pinder Jr., who mm-hmm. um, you know was was uh, <laughs> that was always a fun duo to watch. It Desmond, it's funny to see all these you know, like unnecessary roughness or Saturday down South or red cup or Barstool, whoever, like, like freak out about Desmond being as big as he is. And I'm just like, all right, well, I've known this for however long. Um, Desmond is just remarkably quick for his size too. He, he absolutely is. The first thing you notice is the size, right? Like you, you, you don't need a roster. You don't need no. to look at the numbers to see which one he is. He stands out. But then when you watch him play, I mean, he is quick. He is a he is a good player with a chance to be a very good or great player mm-hmm. at Florida as his career develops. He's got to you know continue to get in kind of elite shape and continue you know being up to that SEC level. But he's a rotational player already, and he's a guy that Florida is going to be counting on the rest of this year and beyond. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, you know, I think he is, he, I, I, I love, you know, a lot of the local guys that Florida's recruited over the, over the, you know, years between Richard Garage and Keon Zipper and um, who's, who's actually drawn starts at tight end this year. Um, you know, Jervon was a late, it was a, as you said, a very late bloomer, but a guy that I always liked at Lake Wales. Um, Ventrell was always a, you know, a, a stalwart at Kathleen they've recruited very well within Tampa Bay and picked off some really good talent. I wish some of the Polk County guys would have stuck maybe like a Fenley grand type or, or a a DeMarcus Bowman, but they've done a good job of picking off some, some talent here, whether that was the previous staff or the current staff, Um, you know, and even Amari Bernie, a guy that made the game winning play against Utah. I mean, he's a, a, a CCC, uh, slash Calvary guy that, you know, had, had kind of been waiting his turn a long time and, and, and now is starting to make a, a run. So, yeah, let's talk about Bernie for a second because he's a Pinellas guy. Yes, he is. Florida. Yeah. Florida fans were 
pretty much done with him last year to, to speak with a broad brush. But I mean, there were too many missed tackles. He just didn't seem right. And the Gators, uh, I think the Gate, you know, Billy had said this in the preseason. He likes their ones, just generally speaking across the board, but they, they don't have a lot of depth. And they didn't have a ton of depth at linebacker either. You know, they lost uh, Mahmoud Diabate to Utah, Utah lost uh, Hopper to, I think it was Missouri. So, they, you know, there was a situation where they really needed Bernie to stick around for this extra year. And, and he did. And Look, all he did was make a dive, you know, former, uh, played some receiver in high school too, makes a diving interception to save the Utah game, had a big sack against Kentucky. Uh, he hasn't been, I don't think he's been the best player on the defense, but he has been a very good, very important player for them. And uh, depending on Ventral Miller's health going forward, he's going to be a guy they're counting on uh, this week. And who knows, maybe next week at, at uh, Tennessee as well. What does USF have to do? um in your opinion uh, on saturday to keep it competitive because i think the major st- a major stepping stone for this program right now is to not have a repeat performance of of the byu game in going down 38 to, to seven and a half or 28 nothing in the first quarter obviously you know fans are going to want this team to be competitive when they go up to the swamp and you know obviously as you and I have seen in college football by your, you know, and by your AP top 25, um, how, how crazy of a mess that was when you put that together last week. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks just, you know, you could put yourself into a, you know, good position to potentially, um, you know, to, to win to, to frankly win the football game in the second half with the amount of upsets and upsets that have happened on the road see georgia southern and nebraska see marshall at notre dame app state um, app state at texas a&m what does usf have to do to to just be competitive in this game so, so first of all you mentioned my ap ballot podcasting is visual medium but at least you can see here all of the I saw the picture. I saw the picture on, yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> All the stuff I had crossed out. It's it's nuts doing it on, on on Sunday morning with my coffee and Cheerios, trying to because there's look there's three elite teams. I think Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and some order. Maybe Michigan's there. I, I, don't, I don't know yet. But then like figure out the quarterback situation. Right. Yeah. Um, four or five through the rest. There, there's no separation between them and yeah. you know. 26 through 50 and maybe lower than that and i was talking with uh, our buddy rick stroud for our, the sports day tampa bay uh, podcast earlier today and, and I, I, there's look I, I think the reason why is there's so much there's so much parity in the sport outside of the top couple because of the portal that's the easiest mm. thing right where look at okay marshall over notre dame uh, Marshall has a bunch of transfers, including Kalen LeBourne, who was a five-star running back at Florida State. That didn't work out there. Gets a second chance at Marshall. I think he already has more rushing yards in two games at Marshall than he did in two years at Florida State. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a Marshall player, but he could have played at any school in the country. Um, you look at App State over Texas A&M. App State's quarterback's a guy that uh, Jeff Scott knows well, Chase Bryce who uh, saved them when he was at We got to get our clubs and connections in the podcast here, man. All right, we do. <laughs> uh, but but Chase, Chase saved Clemson in the, the title year, came off and replaced uh, Trevor Lawrence when he was hurt. I think it was against Syracuse. Then went to Duke, didn't work out there. 
now he's at App State. And so he is a power five quarterback, no question. Just happens to be at a G5 team that plays really tough and can beat a and So that's kind of the, the back thing. And if, when you look at USF, there's some similarities there too, right? With all the transfers they have. Um, obviously, we know about, uh, about Bohannon at quarterback, but like look at Jeterian Hansford, right? Who's uh, two and two against the Gators when he was at Mizzou. The, the two ones were pretty uh, memorable in, in 18 Missouri. I mean, beat Florida handily in the swamp and, and uh, the defense rattled the Gators. Felipe Franks got booed and benched. Then last year in 21, uh, out in Columbia, Hansford had a sack of uh, Emory Jones and a bad loss for Florida, which got Mullen sacked. So there's some of that leveling of the playing field across the landscape as a whole. Now, does that mean USF is going to win? No, it does not. Um, <laughs> I can agree with you on that one. I can agree with you on that one. Right. But I'm just saying there, there's definitely some similarities there that could yeah. give USF fans some hope. Um, what do they, what do they need to do? They need to contain Anthony Richardson first and foremost. He is extremely dangerous with his legs, but we saw uh, against Kentucky that he's still a work in progress with his arm, particularly if the receiving core isn't playing up to stuff and they, they didn't against the Wildcats. So that's the first thing is figure out a way to contain him and make sure he doesn't have a running lane. Cause if he has a running lane, he's gone. And, and that's that. Um, I, I think USF on, on offense needs to find a way to neutralize the, the uh, defensive line as much as possible. I think maybe that's a lot of quick stuff, maybe quick, quick uh, screens, that sort of thing. Get the ball away from those guys as soon as possible. And then of course the, the, the wild card and all of this is special teams, right? USF has been a really good team in terms of returning kicks uh, under Jeff Scott the last couple of years. So maybe Horan or, or Batty or somebody can break something or maybe a blocked punt, something weird like that to kind of flip things around and give them a chance to be competitive. Yeah. And the key word is competitive. Uh, I, I, again, neither of us are, 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 are sitting on this podcast saying that, that USF is going to go to the swamp and beat Florida. Um uh, I'm, I'm kind of sitting more on that, you know, they cover, but it's in that kind of backdoor, you know, 22 to 26 point, you know, winning margin range, as opposed to, you know, maybe a one score, two score game. I mean, it's, it's just, it's t- It's a tough place to play. <laughs> it is that the swamp is a, when it is on, it is on. There, there are very few venues in the country that I've been in that compare to it. It was on against Utah. It wasn't quite as strong against Kentucky. Not expecting it to be like as electric as some of the other games on Saturday, but still, it is a special place. It is loud. Um, not a whole lot of seats available last I saw. Um, so, yeah, I, I think competitive would be a really good goal for where USF should be at this point in year three, like Florida should beat USF 94 times out of a hundred, but a lot of the other ones should be competitive for just for where the programs are. Um, if you're looking for another reason, just on the cover aspect of it, Billy Napier and Jeff Scott have known each other for 20 something years. Yep. I mean, Same. Billy says, uh, you know, Jeff Scott's dad, Brad, was a mentor to him early on. Brad helped get Jeff, uh, uh, excuse me, Brad Scott helped get Billy Napier his first job at, at South Carolina State, where he made, I think it was 468 bucks a month, right? So they go back a long time. Jeff was extremely complimentary of, of Billy and vice versa this week. So maybe there's a situation where, okay, it's up by enough. 
call off the dogs a little bit earlier. Let's not embarrass my buddy. Let's just move on and get ready for a huge game at Tennessee the next week. Yeah, that is a big one at, at Tennessee. I see that one sold out um, earlier today. Yeah, that that's a huge one. And that was one that, you know, Florida, uh, I think we all said that, or a lot of us said that it would not be surprising. Um, and it was the, the most likely outcome in September for the Gators was one and three, but obviously a big win against Utah helps that reality become closer to two and two, which is a all things considering with the cards that you're dealt is a pretty solid, you know, I mean, that's a solid first month to the, to, to the tenure uh, with obviously some games to go. Um, no, yeah. I, I think you're sorry, Mark, but I think you're exactly right. I, I thought one and three was a very realistic scenario. Um, and look, they, Utah was, I had them fourth in the country in my preseason battle. They're still a ranked team. Kentucky is a top 25 team. Tennessee, assuming they take care of business against Akron, I think it is this week, it's not even worth looking at. Uh, as soon as, if they I'm take care of anyway. business against a Humpty Dumpty, they, Tennessee will be a top 25 team at Neyland Stadium, which is a fantastic environment as well. Yes, it is. So if you come out of that two and two, you, you take that. Um, you absolutely take that. And honestly, if you would have come out of, if you would have told me in the preseason, Florida would be sitting here one and one right now. If I were a Gator fan, I would have taken it. It's weird how it ended up where I think fans got unrealistically artificially high expectations from the Utah game. And then things crashed down against Kentucky, but go back a month, say you're going to be one and one, the reasonable rational Florida fans I know would have said, yep, I will take that. See, I, I think a lot of Florida fans got, you know, over overly, you know, unrealistic expectations when Billy Napier got hired. I think they, they saw that and immediately said, oh, we're going 11 and 1, 10 and 2, 12 and 0. We're going to go make it to year six. When I just, I, especially with the ro- some of the roster turnover I, I, and, and, you know, the SEC schedule was not kind to them, obviously. Um, you know, with Kentucky going to Tennessee, going to AM, you got to go to Doak this year. Um, Georgia and Jacksonville. Georgia and Jacksonville for the annual cocktail party. I mean, uh, look, you know, well, and then I, Missouri's beaten you the last two times at the swamp too. And South Carolina beat you last year. I mean, yeah. look, Florida had three in the preseason. I think, what was it? Uh, three of the top six teams on my ballot were playing the Gators. Yeah. Plus Kentucky, plus Tennessee. Like, and then that doesn't include the Missouri's and South Carolina. So it was a very tough schedule and realistic fans saw, looked at that and saw yeah, seven and five would be okay this year because you're right. The, the, the talent is not there. It's not a bad roster. No, but it by is, no means. It is a fine roster by SEC standards. Um, and it, and if, if Anthony Richardson is able to elevate his play and play like he did against Utah and not against Kentucky, you can see things going really well. But after two games, I don't think you can bet on that. They don't have the elite receiver. There's not a Kadarius Tony or a Kyle Pitts who can go and just win a game and make a bunch of plays by himself. Um, they, they don't have that and they, they, their defense is better, but I also don't know that there's a lot of, you know, they don't have a lot of first round picks on it either. So it's, and and there's not a lot of depth, particularly like D tackle. So it's an, it's a roster that's good, but is flawed. And that kind of leaves them where they are right now. Yeah. You know, I don't disagree with that. At the end of the day, it's the first year of a rebuild. It's the first year of a rebuild. Um, Dan Mullen, I wouldn't say left the cupboards as bare as maybe Charlie Strong did at USF. 
Sure. Um, especially, you know, recruiting Billy's done a terrific job in getting that class where it needs to be, um, on a national perspective. Again, I believe they're they're They, they continue to have a top 10 class in the country per 24 seven. Yes, they do. They have the 10th best recruiting class per 24 seven, which is, um, you know, and there's a lot of quality in there recruiting a lot of four stars and guys that, you know, uh, c- could be very productive players. Eugene Wilson's one that I've watched a little bit here and there uh, from Gaither, Isaiah Nixon, the same thing out of Lakewood. Um, Marcus Stokes was a quarterback that USF was on for quite a bit um, that they liked. I thought Bryce Lovett was really good at Rockledge last year. I mean, and that's towards the end of their commitment sheet. Um, not even talking about Trayon Webb and, and uh, you know, Aiden Mazel. So they've got some guys that I think have are really going to help that program once they get in there. And it's for Billy and them, I think in year one, the, the hugest thing was just for them to get back on a, on a, on a national um, level recruiting wise. And then you see the on-field product. Yeah. And what's interesting with that is there was a period in June when they lost Rashada to Miami and there was a one or two other things yeah, where somebody that. thought, you know, fans thought they were going to get ended up going to Bama or Georgia. And, and I mean, Florida fans were just lit. This guy sucks. And again, this is a couple months before he coached his first game. And I thought it was silly then. And it looks dumber now because obviously he's, you know, Billy's got a marquee win against Utah, but maybe Utah ends up being bad this year. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but look, he, he still has a marquee win that should have bought him some goodwill. And then, as you said, look at what he's doing on the recruiting trip. A top, you know, 10th class is not sensational, especially considering where it is in the SEC, but it's still good. And it's better in terms of the depth than what Dan Ballin was doing, where there's a lot more blue chip guys. Yeah, I don't think they have a five-star in it yet, although they might get the the corner from Lakeland. Um, But there's a lot more blue chip top 250 guys, top 300 guys than what Mullen was getting. That's, you know, even if it's a 10th, not all number 10 classes are created equal. And that's a sign going forward that, okay, maybe Billy can do this talent acquisition. Absolutely. So that's, that's kind of going to wrap it up for our Florida USF preview. I want to dive into some on-campus stadium stuff. Uh, Matt, you've done an excellent job kind of keeping even more tabs on that than I ever could. Um, you were at the last board of trustees meeting over in St. Petersburg. Um, you missed which, out. Yeah, I know. I could have <laughs> written my, my recap from treasure Island beach. I could have, could have been sipping, a uh, a cocktail out of a tiki jar at the Thunderbird that afternoon. But, uh, alas, Jeff Scott had his post BYU press conference. So, you know, had to be over there. So, um, just, you know, kind of your thoughts of, of USF, uh, picking a, uh, or suggesting rather a, a firm uh, to go with this on-campus stadium um, and, and just kind of your thoughts on it. Yeah, so they um, gave an invitation to negotiate to Populous and Barton Mallow is the official thing. And, you know, the negotiations, as I understand it, are still ongoing. They're, they're still kind of finalizing that, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. But the expectation is certainly that as we sit here today, in the next week or two, somewhere in there, um, they will be able to go back to the board of trustees and say, okay, this is 
we, we have come to terms with this company or with these, this partnership, and we would like to spend X number of dollars designing it, and here's what the process looks like. And I, I have no reason to doubt at this point that that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, after the board meeting, I sat down with Will Weatherford, the, the chairman, chairperson of the board of trustees, to kind of talk about just his thoughts on this. Because look, you have to remember, uh, a year ago now is when he pushed forward and said, All right, I want to do this. This is going to happen. And I wanted to kind of get the backstory. And this is something that he had been working on for some time. He's a football guy, played football at Land Lakes and, and Jacksonville University, yep. knows the power uh, and the importance of an on-campus stadium. And as he did his homework, he kind of said, why, why don't we have one? And nobody gave him a good answer on why it could not be done. So to his credit, he saw the opportunity. USF was, didn't have a president at the time. Uh, he and the board said, all right, we're going to do this. Whoever we hire as president is going to get behind this. And it has been full speed ahead for the last year where, you know, in some ways it's, it's been a long time coming, right? Like there were talks about an on-campus stadium since literally before the first classes. But the other thing is it's really in the last year, they've gone from, yeah, I want to do this. Let's do this. Let's speak this into existence to where they are now, which is a couple weeks away from, we presume, uh, having a, a contract in hand for a company to design the stadium and go through this next year, year and a half process of what do we want and how much is that going to cost? Yeah, it's a, it's a big step regardless. What were the major, you alluded to it, uh, you know, just a second ago, but, but just kind of what were your overall, you know, takeaways from your conversation with, with Will Weatherford in terms of, um, you know, just, I, I don't know how much you may have talked to him about, you know, how important the on-field product is, but just kind of what were your major takeaways of, of kind of what needs to change or continue to happen for this to continue to become, you know, a reality for the future? He was adamant, this is happening. I, I mean, I asked him, I have two questions I've heard the most from fans. Okay, number one, this has been talked about for decades. Why is this going to be different? because failure is not an option, is what he told me. Um, and when the chairperson of the board of trustees says that, that carries somebody. And then the, the other question I wanted to ask is the question I hear from USF fans, which is, what if we spend all this money on a new stadium and we're, we're left behind in realignment and we're stuck playing Rice and Charlotte every year? And we're trying to build, fill this new stadium to play Rice and Charlotte. And he basically said, we can either be in the game or not be in the game. You know, look at what this what the the bounce house did for UCF. It got them in the game. We're choosing to be in the game. We're, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll let the ships fall where they may. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the realignment? But we're going to go forward with this and then position ourselves as the best we can to help us as a university, as a program, everything else, and then we'll kind of see what happens after that. So. I took those things just as a, he is a 100% set on this. I mean, the other thing he said, like my, my first goal as chairperson of the board of trustees is to student success and achievement. Number two is to build a stadium. And again, when one of the most powerful people on that campus and really probably in this community says this is what's gonna happen, that carries a lot of weight. Now, yeah. I, I still have a little bit of skepticism because it's my nature. And some of it is, you know, talk is cheap, talk is free, stadiums are not. And, and until we know a price tag on, first of all, how much the design is going to be, 
And then second of all, how much is the stadium itself going to cost? There's going to be a little bit of skepticism. But uh, here, you know, so far they are doing everything in their power to make it happen. And the next step in terms of, I, I'm really curious to see what the pitches are uh, and yeah. what they can show us here in the next couple of weeks on how this thing goes forward. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Make sure to check out the listeners. Make sure to check out that article that Matt did with Will Weatherford. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll post it in the in the comments on the message board thread that this uh, will be posted on the website. Um, it was a it was a great read. It was very enlightening. Um, you. you know, I think it's I think it's the first time we've gotten Will on record since probably the the IPF groundbreaking last September. So um you know that's that's he he's obviously a tough individual to to get a hold of yeah i've been working with a bit to to figure out a time to sit down with him and was really grateful we were able to do it because i look i i've told people i'm more interested in and more fascinated by this stadium thing than anything on the field this year um at any program i i just think the opportunity for usf to build you know transformational is the word that they use yeah i think it's fair this is a potentially transformational thing, certainly for the athletic department. It can be a huge thing for the university as well. And the Bulls will tell you that, you know, we can get donors to start with a stadium, get them in the front door and then use it to get money for the med school, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> so it's a yeah. huge, huge, huge project. And just how this is, what a 21st century stadium is going to look like at Tampa, I, I think it's a fascinating thing. So I, I was glad to be able to sit down with Will to kind of talk about that. And I'm really anxious to, to get ready to hear these next chapters and see how this is going to unfold over the next couple of weeks and then months and years beyond that. Yeah, it, it should be interesting to see how it, how it turns out. Matt, how can everybody follow you, get your, your hot takes on college football? Because there's plenty of them. Yeah, of course. We're uh, I'm with the Tampa Bay Times. So of course, so subscribe. Uh, we're at tampabay.com and I'm on Twitter at mbakertvtimes. Thanks a bunch for taking the time and, and, and making your second appearance on the podcast. We don't have a whole lot of returning guests, but this podcast is still like a year, less than a year young. So, uh, but thanks a bunch for hopping on, man. Sure. Thank you, Will. See, you heard Matt Baker say that the most intriguing thing about this college football season was not a team it was the usf on-campus stadium so i promise you the guy does not hate usf um as people on social media like to think but um great insight there from matt um as always uh you know again it's always nice to have a guy that's 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 in the same media room so i don't have to go uh you know seek out you know somebody uh from gatesville or somebody like that so um again make sure to 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 keep tabs on matt's work uh if you're listening to this in the megaphone.fm browser like i said um in the comments uh or on the message board that this article uh this this podcast uh goes into the article that, that that's with it um there will be uh, a link to the article that matt did uh the sit down interview with will weatherford uh again i thought it was a great piece um very enlightening and again the first time that really anybody's been able to talk to will weatherford since um on the record since uh september of last year so um you know obviously 
these interviews don't come, you know, very often with with folks of that uh, stature. So uh, with that, that's going to do it here on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. As again, Florida and USF are on this crash course to a uh, 7.30 p.m. kickoff tomorrow night at Swamp. I'm going to head up to Gainesville uh, probably just an hour or two after I get this podcast put up. Um, I've been feeling just a little under the weather, if you couldn't tell by my uh, by my voice. I had some weird head cold start on Monday and got out in front of it, and I'm like most of the way better. I just wanted to make sure that I was good to go for the next two weeks with two road games in a row. So um, again, I apologize for kind of slacking, uh, slacking some of the content or sacrificing some of the content this week over on the website just so I can kind of get right ready to go for game day. Um, but... Uh, again, USF Florida, 7.30 p.m. at the Swamp. We'll have live coverage there. I'll be on field. JJ is coming up with me. Uh, he's going to be up Saturday. He'll be in the box with me. Um, so we'll have continuing coverage from USF and Florida uh, on Friday, uh, on Saturday night, uh, games at, on, on SEC Network. So um, if you can't listen to that, make sure you get uh, the radio coverage uh, on w, uh, 102.5 The Bone. Um, they'll be, uh, breaking it down two hours before kick. And of course we'll have all of the post game coverage on bulls247.com as we roll towards the end of non-conference play. So again, thanks for listening. Again, I've been your host, Will Turner. Uh, if this is your first time listening, we again, genuinely appreciate you hopping on. You can catch us on, on the four major podcast distributors between Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And if you enjoyed the content you hear uh, over on Apple Podcasts specifically, because I think it's the only place you can put feedback, uh, we'd greatly appreciate uh, some sort of positive feedback or any feedback, really, as we continue to grow this podcast throughout the USF space. So thanks a bunch for listening. We'll be back very, very soon with another edition of the podcast. Uh, Joe uh, will be back with some more picks, hopefully very, very soon. Um, Didn't get a chance to do it last week. Uh, wanted to do it this week. Uh, obviously, schedules uh, definitely uh, equate to that. So uh, we're going to try and get him on very soon, and uh, we'll break down Louisville and uh, you know this Florida game very, very soon. So thanks a bunch for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.